Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, and Mr. Tim's back there, it looks like, with the kids. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 2, or you can read along up on the screen, as always. We're in this summer series where we're talking about these identities that really shape the life of our church together. Disciples, family, servants, and missionaries. If you hadn't heard about that, you'll hear that language a lot. We believe these are the baptismal identities that Jesus gives us through his great commission as his followers. And this summer, we're talking about these in the month of July and having different, different people speak on them. And this morning, we come to family. This is one of those scriptures that I've probably read about, preached on, talked about a lot because it's been so important to the life of our church as a church plant because we didn't want to base what we do on anything more or less than what we see in the scriptures. And so as we come to this passage today, we're going to look at it from a different angle, but hopefully one that roots us more deeply as being the people of God. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you, by your spirit, would take what we read and pierce to the division of our thoughts, our intentions, into the depths of our hearts to reveal to us our need of you and to reveal even more your love that is enough. We thank you, God, that you are with us now. We thank you, Jesus, that you walk among your church. Help us to be present to your presence now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try to not sing, but here's the words I want to say is, we don't talk about Bruno. So some of you know what I'm talking about. Seven foot frame, rats along his back. Josiah, what's next? He doesn't remember. Who remembers it? What is it? Somebody knows what I'm talking about here. When he calls your name, it all fades to black. All right. So maybe not since Frozen's Let It Go has there been a song that's became more annoying than when we don't talk about Bruno. If you don't know this song, I'm, I'm very surprised. It's not because it's bad, it's just because it's like so repeated, at least in the, the circles, I guess, that I've been in. 
But someone used the phrase recently in a conversation that I was having, and it hit me what it actually meant. And why I think it matters when we talk about family from Acts chapter 2. The movie Encanto, you may not have seen it, not an endorsement, you know, not an endorsement. Somebody said, well, you kind of endorse it when you bring it up. All right, so it's about a family that has, it's a cartoon movie about this family that has these amazing gifts. These like supernatural talents and abilities, not to mention the colors, the dancing, the singing. And there's this apparent just togetherness and unity that is so beautiful. There's a magical house that's at the center of it all. And there's this grandma who seemingly is holding everything together. There's only one problem. While everything looks beautiful and wonderful on the outside, the house is cracking. The house is breaking down, and it seems to be cracking because of a granddaughter who's not special. A granddaughter who doesn't have the powers, the gifts, the abilities. But what turns out to be the reality in my interpretation, and after this person mentioned it, some others that I looked up and found, is that the pressure to be so special, so super special, and have it all together is actually what's breaking down the family. Someone writes on this, and maybe I guess people get paid to write about cartoon movies. Be a good job. It says, On the surface, the madrigals are the perfect family, always happy and helpful, but the magic is a facade they keep up. The members of the family act as Alma needs, always happy, while allowing pressure to build up underneath the magical mask they wear. For example, Maribel, the, the granddaughter who doesn't have these special gifts, her older sister, Louisa, has a, has a strength and a song that reveals, though, the pressure that's underneath that strength. She's incredibly and possibly strong. She provides all the muscle the village could ever need, even capable of transporting a church with her bare hands. But this strength masks deep anxiety and the impossible stress that she's under but she must always be working and striving to be perfect, even as it pushes her mental health to its limit. The gifts that the family has are to be put to the use of others without any concern about what's really going on in their hearts, and especially this brother named Bruno. Bruno is so out there, we don't talk about Bruno. Bruno lives in the walls of the house. But in the end, the family finds the restoration of their home not by being super special or keeping up appearances, but by ripping the mask off and owning the mess together, even talking about Bruno. Now, I wonder what other families are like that. Now, I wonder, let's just go out on a limb, has there ever been a church family like that? Who has an unwritten motto of, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about the things that we think if we talk about, actually, you're going to break everything down. When the reality is, is that it's only through the truth of our reality brought to the one who is the truth of God's reality that will set us free. We tend to think that a healthy family has it all together, keeps up appearances, keeps everyone in line. 
when it's actually the fear of reality that leads to the breaking down of everything in the background. I've heard recently, what makes a healthy family different from an unhealthy family? This is what the person told me. An unhealth, a healthy family talks about what's unhealthy in the family. Let me say that again. What makes the difference in a healthy family versus an unhealthy family? A healthy family talks about what's unhealthy in the family. Man, that's hard. It's easy to sing a fun song, we don't talk about Bruno, than it is to actually talk about Bruno. The book of Acts gives a beautiful picture of the church. But so often what we wrongly do, even with a chapter in a section like this, is we romanticize what actually is that held them together. And what held the church together was not the fact that, yes, at the beginning of this chapter, they received the Holy Spirit, and now they're able to, to go out and be witnesses. That's true. Val talked to us about that last week. But what's going to hold together the power of their unity? What's going to hold together the power of their witness? It is not that they have everything together. It's that they have a Savior who does. Behind the pattern in Acts 2 is a people very needy of Jesus and each other. And a people that are willing to embrace that need together and open that up to the rest of the world. And if we want to be a healthy church family, then we have to be a family that brings our need to God and to each other. We've got to be a family that talks about Bruno. So how do we do that? The first thing is we've got to embrace that a healthy church family is needy of Jesus together. Look again at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That might sound like the most basic Bible verse in the world that you've ever heard, but just put yourself in their shoes. If you were to go back and read what's happening earlier in this chapter, Peter is sharing the gospel that Jesus has been vindicated by God as the true son of David, the Messiah, the Christ. And guess what these folks did who are listening to this message? They killed him. Now, you all and me, we might have some skeletons in our closet. But these people are being publicly outed for killing the Son of God. Can you imagine if your friend came over with their children to your house one day and you killed their child? I know this is crazy. I mean, how would you feel about that when it came out, right, if you hit it? Now imagine it's God's child. It's God's son. Does it get much worse than that? that that's what Peter is saying here. This, therefore, it's connected to this context. God made him both Lord and Christ, and you killed him. You crucified him. Peter makes this so personal. And so this, no wonder this conviction hits. Notice verse 37. They're cut to the heart. Like this isn't some theoretical, let's talk about 
the gospel and various theories of the atonement or things like that that may be important. It's like, this is real personal. They're cut to the heart. They're overwhelmed by this, and they say, what should we do? And so he gives them the remedy in verses 38 through 40. And we know there are lots of details here we could go into, but we're not going to. But the, the main points of this remedy are is they are to repent and be baptized. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your frame of mind, to change the way that you're going. They're to not see this Jesus as someone who is a phony and a fraud, but to now see this Jesus as the one who actually is the vindicated, exalted Son of God. And they are to not give themselves to his destruction as they did, but now give themselves to his way, to his path, to his principles, to his practice. They are to have faith that leads to change. And that change is to be displayed through a baptism where they publicly go on record. This is our guy. We are united with him. We stand with him in his death and in his resurrection. And as they do this, they are displaying that they have now entered into this new covenant reality. All kinds of debates that come out around this about, is this saying that we're forgiven because we get baptized? No, if you understand the new covenant, the promise of the new covenant is twofold. We share this a lot of weeks around the communion table. What are the promises of the new covenant? Your once for all forgiveness of sins and the enablement of God's spirit to obey God's commands. What Peter is saying here. If you turn from your sin and unite yourself with Jesus through baptism, you find yourself in the blessings, the promises, the gifts of this new covenant, which are forgiveness of sins, and as he says at the end of verse 38, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a lot. We've talked some in here recently about generational sins. Imagine the sin in your family of, as a part of the crucifixion of Jesus. That's a big one. So this is why in context this is so amazing that in verse 39 that this promise is not just for them, the son of God killers, but for their children. For those who are far off, guess who that includes? That's Gentiles, that includes Romans. What it's saying, this is for everybody that the Lord calls to himself. Peter continues to preach in verse 40 about these things, that they'd be saved from this crooked generation. And in verse 41, we see some 3,000 get in on it. And why wouldn't you if this hits you as it is in its reality? One commentator summarizes this section saying, we cannot have the gospel and its good news without letting people know about the bad news that is our fault and responsibility. The need for God, however, is not a bad thing. Rather, to need God and respond to God is an opportunity to share in the richness that turning one's life to God can bring. Peter preaches such hope. Out of the ashes from which resurrection emerges is a new life that rests in unending fellowship with God. I used to know a family who would go to the hospital to eat lunch after their church gathering on Sundays. And that was the strangest thing in the world to me. I guess that hospital had great food. But who wants to go hang out at a hospital? Some of you nurses, doctors, no offense. I mean, is the food that good? You go to a hospital because you're sick. You go to a hospital because you want to help somebody else or visit somebody else who is sick. 
It would be strange, I think, for people to just go hang out around hospitals when they're not sick or at least they're not willing to admit they are. But let's be honest, that's how churches can be a lot of times. And we wonder why there's no unity that's deeper than the surface is because we've not been willing to get honest about our sickness. You may not be comfortable with me saying you're sick. Some of you are going to be a lot more comfortable with me saying you're sinful. But I didn't come up with the phrase that I did not come for those who are healthy, but for those who are sick. Jesus did. Jesus not only said that, he said, I've only come for those who are sick. Paul would say in his own words, I'm the sickest guy in the room, right? I'm the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. And he didn't say I was the chief of sinners, if you go and look that up. He says, I am. No wonder he was so passionate about the churches being consumed and saturated with the grace of God. So I have a question for you. If you're not sick, then why are you here? You will never enjoy the table that Jesus spreads of His forgiveness and deliverance if you cannot first be honest about your need. We will never enjoy a real deep fellowship as a church family if we can't be real about the sin and the suffering and the lies that so captivate our lives. Our unity will not come through superficial sharings of our story, through facades, through masks, through cover-ups. Now, we can play church. We're really good at that in our culture. But we won't have this type of family like we see in Acts chapter 2 if it doesn't start with us being really needy for Jesus like they were. This means we're going to have to talk about our need. We, gotta, we can't stay on the surface. You know, I'm very thankful that there are many recovery and support groups in our area and in the world. That's great. But one of the saddest things I ever hear is when people say, you know, you're going to have to find that deeper fellowship outside of the church. Isn't it so sad when we hear people say, you know, I like hanging out with my unbelieving friends because I feel like I can just be real with them. What an indictment on the shallow, superficial state of so much of what we call Christian community. When we can actually give people something greater than just an ear to hear, but an ear to hear and then a hope to live into. We're also going to have to talk about Jesus together. So we've got to get real with our need and our story, but we can talk about Jesus together. And knowing Jesus has got to be more than talking about our doctrinal statement. Doctrinal statements and truths are great and good and important, but we've got to say, to what end? What's the purpose of you being able to articulate very clearly the doctrine of the grace of God if you cannot experience the doctrine of the grace of God to the deepest, darkest parts of your own heart? 
What good is it that you can talk all day long about what Christ did on the cross and what he accomplished and how powerful that is if you're not able then to bring that to someone in their time of need? When we talk about getting real about our need, we're not talking about ruminating on what's bad all the time and just wallowing in it. We're talking about bringing it to Jesus and doing that together. Some of us in here need to ask ourselves, have we really shared our story? And others of us in here need to ask, have we really invited Jesus there? This is what is the bedrock, I believe, and oftentimes people just skip straight to verse 42 when they're doing these verses, and that's okay. But the, ch the church's life together is born out of a deep need for Jesus, a publicly being revealed as those who crucified the Son of God and then actually were able to show their face on the other side of that publicly together. Val often mentions this when we talk about baptism. This is why when you understand baptism rightly, it's so powerful for community. Is you're just going ahead and telling everybody, I'm, I deserve death. <laughs> but I've been made new in Christ. And that's true of all of us. And so guess what? You can't share anything now that's going to shock me. I already know you deserve to die for your sin. And I already know that Jesus is enough from it. This is what will lead us to health because we talk about what is our unity. Our unity is not in our structure. Our unity is not in missional communities. Our unity is not found in fight clubs. Our unity is not found in our Sunday gathering unity, our Sunday gathering liturgy. Our unity is found in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for sinners. This is our good news. That's what unifies us. All that other stuff can get real messy and complicated. But we keep coming back there. We stay strong. So we must embrace our need of Jesus together. The next thing the text says, if we want to be a, a healthy church family, then we've got to embrace our need of each other. Oh, this is hard. If the first one wasn't hard, I know this wasn't hard. Nobody in here probably wants to ask for help. Many of us were raised in a culture that said, that is a weakness, Right? I mean, we got people walking around beating their chest all around our neighborhood and all around our country and county saying, I'm the, I don't ask for help for nobody. As if that's a virtue. That is not a virtue in the kingdom. It may be in southern religious culture, but it ain't in the kingdom of Christ. Notice in these verses, 42 through 46, these people are needy and they're finding their needs met amongst one another. They devote themselves to this deep community, verse 42 says. And this devotion is an intentional, consistent, committed community. These folks know that the gospel of Jesus binds them together. So church for them isn't like, well, you know, what's on the calendar this week? Church for them is not a schedule. It's a, it's a, it's a relational web that they are committed to that does look like showing up for stuff and doing stuff like we'll say but first of all the, the church is not what it does the church is who it is the people of God saved by the power of God and dwelt with the presence of God and sent with the purposes of God 
Somehow along the way, it became something we have to try to get people to do. What are they committed to? They're committed to one another, but this is a devotion to together. Again, this is all very communal. They're devoted themselves, devoted together to the apostles' teaching. That is, they're devoted to hearing the scriptures that are unfolded of how Jesus is the king. Read, read the apostles' teaching through the book of Acts. What is it doing? They're just saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole story of God. He's the coming of the kingdom, and you need to get in on it. They do this publicly through hearing the apostles teach, and then it seems that they go to their homes and they discuss these things and learn how to live them out together. They're devoted to the fellowship. Now, you may not can see this depending on which translation you have, but there is a the before the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. The definite article, whatever that means, language people. I know what it means. It's not a. When the the is before something, I just thought of this. Who's annoying, right? We're SEC people, Big Ten. Somebody's here Big Ten. The Ohio State University, right? And you like kind of roll your eyes, right? But why do they do that? Because the is saying this is just something special. So this, is, this has a formal nature to it. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Not just any apostles, the apostles, the twelve, the apostles of Jesus, the fellowship. I like to think of Lord of the Rings, right? The fellowship of the ring. That's more what kind of church is supposed to be like. You know what I'm talking about there. It's a membership that isn't about signing up for a club. It's about being there for one another and knowing you can count on me. I got your back. It's koinonia. So the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The breaking of the bread, Luke wrote Acts as well, and in, in the book of Luke we see Jesus refer, or referring to the breaking of the bread as the Lord's table. We see in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Luke writes that they gather together on the first day of the week, they broke bread. So most people think, commentators, that this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. It could be just general eating together. We see that later in the text. But they were devoted to it, and they were devoted to the prayers. Again, we're sure, we see in the book of Acts they prayed spontaneously. We need powerful, spontaneous prayer in our lives. But they very likely had some prayers, and those prayers were likely a lot of the Psalms. And guess what you did with the Psalms? You prayed them, but you also sang them. They needed one another for these things. In, in our individualistic mindset, so often what we want to do is we want to go do the apostles' teaching by ourselves. We want to figure out how to have fellowship where we pop in and check that off the list. And then we want to, to have just a prayer life by ourselves when all of this is we need each other. We need each other. They experience all together. We see this in verse 43. Awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done. Now, in the book of Acts, not everything is normative or what we might call prescriptive. A lot of it is descriptive, a unique period in the history of redemption and in the history of the church. And we can talk about that a lot at another time. But at least right now, what's very clear is that they, they have an experiential life together where the truth of the power of God is not merely something on pages they read but breaks into the life that they live. 
Then in verses 44 and 45, they share together and they sell the things that they have to take care of one another. Man, that takes a lot of humility. We've, we've done that a lot in our church, but it's hard it, to call somebody up and say, hey, man, I'm a little short on the money I need for my taxes this year. Or my car's broke down, I need to borrow a car. I don't like doing that. I'm the world's worst at this. But this was normal for them. Hey, I need help. I need help. And this wasn't just an occasional thing. Notice verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Their life together was not merely something they did in a building where you sat in here and stare at the back of each other's heads half the time listening to me talk, although the apostles' teaching is important. But this actually affected their everyday lives. Now, we don't need to get carried away with that and get super legalistic. And by carried away, I mean legalistic. We might need to get carried away with it. These folks had jobs. Sometimes we forget that. They had jobs. In, in a Roman culture and empire, guess what? They're not getting Sunday off, right? And now because Jesus is risen, this is the day that we see, Luke will say, Acts 27, they begin to gather on the first day of the week. So they're probably working all day on Sunday and then getting together to do a lot of this just on Sunday night. This is why one time when Paul's preaching, dude falls out the window asleep, right? It's because they probably worked hard all day and here Paul's up there, long-winded preacher. Aren't y'all glad y'all never had to endure that? But community crossed the lines into the everyday life. We went camping again recently, and I didn't get permission from some people I should have. Cassie's not in here, so I don't have to embarrass her. So I've heard her horror camping stories. I actually had a good one recently. And you know why? Because the Nelson showed up. <laughs> so we had put on group me, hey, we're going camping several weeks ago if anybody wants to come. And they're like, are you sure? It's not just a long time. I'm like, sure, come on. And thank goodness they did. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, thank goodness we did. Very soon as we arrived, we had a, a, a tarp issue because the last time we went camping, y'all have heard that story, we, it rained so hard the whole time, the tarp was right over the fire, and so the tarp had kind of like, didn't have its shape, which made that very hard. And then we get the tent out, and as we go to set up the tent, we find that the tent has a massive hole in it where evidently probably one of us set it on the fire under the tarp while we were trying to load up in the monsoon. Cassie would be cringing right now if she was in here hearing me share this. But guess what? We had a great trip. Why? Because we had to get a little needy. I had to let camping pro over here know I don't have it together. That's pretty obvious. Not a lot of like intentional revelations. And we had a great time. And I can't speak for these guys, but I would say our presence probably made them had a better time to some degree. Not with equipment. <laughs> How were they so close in Acts chapter 2? Was it because everybody could take care of themselves? Was it because everybody had it all together and didn't need each other? Was that their goal? Spiritual maturity means we don't need other people. No, it's the exact opposite. I don't know how many people have come to our church because they want community. 
But they don't want community. Because guess what? I don't want it either. Because community means I'm going to have to show you how needy I am and allow you to help meet needs. And I'm the pastor. I just want to serve people and make myself feel strong about that. That's why some of you in here who are leaders can be some of the loneliest people in the world when it comes to the life of the church. Because you think that now you don't get to be needy and ask for help anymore. Some of you need to make your new spiritual practice. I'm going to go, this is just what I'm going to do. I'm going to make myself every day or once a week ask somebody else for help with something. Help to pray for me. Help to show me more about myself. Help to get a task done. Some of you may be getting bitter and resentful in your, in your missional community life. And a question I have for you, when is the last time that you went to somebody and asked for help? Quit expecting people to see what needs to be done and just do it. That is not a biblical way to have relationships. That might have been how it was in your house growing up. It is not a virtue. What you need to do is humble yourself. So what I need to do, I'm speaking to myself and say, hey, would you do this? Would you bring some more of this? Would you step up and do this? Would you give this person a ride? Would you share this? Would you help me mow my yard while I'm gone? Feed my dogs? I don't know. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been waiting for permission to ask for help. But a lot of us are full of pride, and so we don't have community. These guys had it. Can I, can, it is so hard for me to imagine saying to somebody, man, it'd be really cool if you sold that so that you would help me. <laughs> I can just feel myself melting as I say that. And that's their DNA. And thank goodness we've had people do things like this in our church. People sit in this room, I didn't ask, who've given cars away to other people. People who've let the homeless sleep on their couches until we could find an apartment. People who've emptied out their whole storage shed to, of, of furniture to, 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 to uh, furnish an apartment for addicts. I mean, we just could go on and on. I want to encourage you, right? We got room to grow, but my goodness, we're actually doing this thing. It's messy, but we're doing it. You're here. This ain't the first time you've heard something like this, and you're back. We've got to learn together. All these things could be applied to this togetherness. I don't know how many, learning the apostles' teaching together, I don't know how many times at Fight Club I walk out of there and I, I say, I would have never learned that if it weren't for this other brother in Christ. I just wouldn't have. It don't matter how many degrees I have and books I've read, I would have not learned that about who Jesus is. And thank God for that. For fellowship of the one another's. I don't have time to go through these, but I printed off a lot of these one another's. Man, I encourage you to go look up the one another's of the scriptures and just ask yourselves what that implies. Forgive one another. Guess what that means? I'm going to have to have a relationship with somebody that I allow them to hurt me. So I can forgive them. And guess what? They're going to have to forgive me. That means I'm going to have to have a relationship to the depths with somebody that I can actually hurt them. That's really hard. 
You know why we can do that, though? Point one. Because Jesus is enough. We're going to need to worship together. I've said this before, but I think a lot of times one of the reasons that God has called me to be a pastor is so that I would actually be here every week. But very few times I could say, you know, I'm really, I'm really upset that I went and were with all these folks singing praises to God and partaking of the Lord's table and praying together. No, we need each other. The, the, the breaking of the bread and the prayers together. We need to continue, as we've talked about, to, to, to share our lives and our possessions, our homes together. We need to be devoted to one another. It will be messy, but we can do it. So we embrace our need for Jesus together. We embrace our need for one another together. And the last thing before we come to the table is we embrace that a healthy church family has got to be completely needy of God's power to grow the church. If you're like me, you're thinking, if, I'm, if, if we're that open before God and open before one another, that's just going to scare everybody in the world away, right? I mean, how many times have we had people over to my house and I have told my children, you better not act like fools tonight. <laughs> right? Some version of that. Probably worse or even more passive-aggressive in my immaturity. But notice what happens is this church lives open to their need of the grace of God and the need of one another. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We don't have to be fake to further the mission of God. One of the saddest things in all these sexual abuse crises is when abusers and manipulators say things like, we can't be honest because it would hurt the mission. I hope none of us in here would be to that level, but maybe we can relate a little more. right? I can't tell anybody about my addiction to pornography. I can't tell anybody about my greed. I can't tell anybody about the deep resentment in my life. Why? It would hurt the church. The church won't grow if we're that honest, if we're that needy. And here we are having all these people saying, we killed Jesus, like literally. And they get honest about that, and they experience the grace of God. And they're like, and now we're so needy, we need people selling their junk to help us survive. And guess what? God grows the church. God grows the church. A healthy church family is dependent on God's growing of the church not on our figuring out how to like make that happen through this weird, fake, and phony living. And some of you need to let that lead you into freedom. Some of you in here who are carrying things, abuses, hurts, sins, suffering, satanic attacks, and you really have convinced yourself, if I tell the truth about that, it's going to mess this whole church thing up. Or, hey, God just wants you to, to be free of that. 
Your missional community is not somehow going to not reach more people for Jesus if you get real about your life. Your fight club is not going to get distracted from the gospel if you get real. It might actually like get to the gospel in a way that is more in a Bible study. Our church is not threatened by the truth. Because we have one who is the truth. The truth that's the greater truth, the higher truth. The one who through a group of Son of God crucifiers would change the world. So, maybe it's good that that's been repeated, at least for me. But we, we don't talk about Bruno. A healthy family talks about Bruno. And we got much greater news to share than Encanto. The world sometimes can observe the problems. But we have the truth that can address the problem.